Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and see live streaming of many of my performances on Periscope. My new album, White Knuckle Life, as well as my other original records are available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by Jimi Hendrix. I've been imitated so well. I've heard people copy my mistakes. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 17. Great response to last week's podcast with Brian Layton. Thanks for tuning in to part two. Excited to see that the classic Minnesota rock band, The Honey Dogs, are soon to release their 11th studio record, Love and Cannibalism. If you'd like to pre-order or get more information, look them up on Facebook. Also, it's looking like frontman Adam Levy may be on the podcast soon. Stay tuned. Michael Nelson is filming a feature-length documentary about seven Minnesota artists with the courage to pursue their passion in the upcoming release, Lifers. It focuses on a couple of my Minnesota musical favorites, Brian Layton and Tim Mahoney. For more information, go to www.indiegogo.com forward slash projects forward slash lifers. Michael will also be a guest on an upcoming podcast soon. I've been rocking out this week to the classic Minnesota rock band, The Flamin' O's. I'd recommend downloading their early 1980s classic song, I Remember Romance. It's a catchy, clever, rockin' tune. Last week's gigs wrap-up. Tuesday, Brian Johnson and myself's show with Paul Mayasich was canceled due to a nasty snowstorm. Looking forward to playing more shows where we get to play a ton of blues harp, but glad we didn't have to mess around with driving that night. Wednesday, I performed a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope. Was jam-packed in there. I'd like to give a shout-out to the Northwest YMCA Aerobic Gals for always making their monthly appearance a blast for everybody. Friday, I played a solo show at Ingredients in White Bear Lake. Awesome dinner crowd. Great to see longtime fans and friends, Scott, Maureen, and Max. Also, happy birthday to Dustin. Thanks for hanging and bringing the fam to the show. Saturday, Mr. Brian K. Johnson and myself rocked out at JJ's Pub at Commander Bar in Breezy Point, Minnesota. Great crowd. It was a super fun night. Minnesota music legend and lead guitar player for Vintage Rags, Billy Larson, joined us for a few songs. Was a blast. 
Upcoming shows, Wednesday, February 10th, 2016. I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 8 to 10 p.m. Friday, February 12th, 2016, I'll be playing a solo show at Nova in Hudson, Wisconsin from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. Saturday, February 13th, 2016, Brian Johnson and myself are excited to be heading to Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin to rock out at fill-in station from 7 to 10 p.m. Guest this week is part two of three with one of my all-time Minnesota musical heroes, Brian Layton of the iconic Minnesota band G.B. Layton. We discuss voice conditioning, Chuck Berry, favorite venues, Man in the Moon, dog singing, etc. Enjoy the conversation! Mr. Brian Layton, part two. <laughs> we just got done hearing uh, the beginnings and the makings of the song Shag off his One Time, One Life record. And uh, you were talking about the strength of your voice, how after shows at Bunkers you'd go record. So you have a very unique, uh, powerful voice. And it seems, I was even just listening to the song uh, This Life on the drive over here. And I didn't even realize it was live. It's just this great vibrato and great just oomphta behind it. Have you ever had any troubles with your voice? Or um, how do you keep it so strong like that for so many years? Uh, yeah, I've had definitely have had troubles <laughs> with it before. Um, I don't know, you know. When I started, um, I went to a, uh, a music uh, vocal instructor uh, it was uh, Margaret Cox's mom, actually. It was Nancy Cox, and and she was, she had a vocal instruction thing, and I went to her to just to see if I was singing okay, just to have her hear me sing. And she taught me a lot. She taught me how to warm my voice up, and she taught me how to cool my voice down after the end of the night, you know. And and something I never knew, you know, that you cool your voice down after you're done singing because it's like a workout you know you just worked your voice out you can cool it down a little bit to relax it a lot faster you know i've never even heard of that well <laughs> see i'll teach you how to do that then so no anyway but you know she said you know you're singing fine you're doing great um times in my life when my voice was bad is stress when stress goes on and stuff like that you know if i'm relaxed and i'm and i'm okay now um, honest to God, I, I haven't had one bad day this year in t or the whole last year, 2015 that I had to take off. I've had, you know, days in the past where I've had laryngitis and stuff like that, where I couldn't sing. I mean, I was at, uh, Petey Pappy's one year and, uh, I, I stepped up to sing the first song and I couldn't get the words out. And I was going frantic like oh my god what am i gonna do this is the first song and i can't get anything was out. greg pissed no <laughs> no the thing is i like forced myself to death to uh sing that night and got it out and of course you know some guy comes up to me at the end of the show and goes dude you got the best cajun voice i've ever heard in my life and i'm like well that's that's great but i'm not a cajun singer yeah. <laughs> But anyway, I know now, you know, I knew that night that cost me three more nights, you know. So after that, you learn kind of like, hey, if you have to do take a night off, take a night off, you know, because yeah. it's going to cost you more if you force yourself to go through it. And it, it is hard to cancel, you know, or whatever. But lately, it's honestly, it's been a 
mind thing for me. It's it's been a comfortable thing for me. It's been uh the more relaxed I am, the more I go on stage comfortable with who's behind me and my band and 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 what we're doing, how we're how we're getting along, how we're connecting, how we're doing everything. To me that is just like this light around me that I just can't I I'm not going to lose my voice anymore. I just feel like that and you know it feels nice. that strong. It's just yeah, it feels really good. So So you don't have any voodoo stuff like uh you know drinking uh you know, five glasses of water like ten minutes before the show. No, I remember. I think we opened up for Daisy Head one time, and Will's like, "Oh, I take like ten aspirin before I go on stage." And I tried it, and I hurt my stomach almost. <laughs> yeah, none of that kind of voodoo witch doctor stuff to keep your voice going. No, nope, I don't. I mean, I do drink a lot of water during the day and stuff. That's pretty much all I drink during the day is water. I I love water. Um, I remember Tim Siegler once told me to eat French fries, so that was good for your voice. I have no idea what that that would do for your voice, but maybe maybe it helps him. Maybe it helps him relax. To me, it's it's relaxation, man. You know, the more relaxed you you can have your throat, the more that you're not going to be using those muscles that are going to tense up. You know, the the more that you just let that air flow through, and you can just adjust that air to the pitch you want it. You know, and. no, it's fun. When I now it's it's so much fun to sing these days now because it's just like it's it just comes it just comes naturally and it's just yeah it's great it's having a blast. That's awesome, man. Out of all the albums you've put out, what's your favorite one? And then also, what do you think your fans would vote as their favorite record you put out? Oh man, I don't know. I'm mine. Mm. I think uh, one of the New Year's Eve ones, there's a couple songs on there that I really like. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's 2004, uh, New Year's Eve, we did live acoustic show. Um, there's a couple original songs on there that I really like, Comes and Goes, and uh, the other one was... Uh, uh, it Ain't Easy. That's the other one. It ain't easy. Um, I like those songs. I like that album. I don't know. I mean, I have different songs on every album that I really love, you know, the most. Um, my fans, I think, probably the most CDs I've ever sold of any CD that I've got probably is live from Pickle Park. Probably yep. the one we recorded live at Bunkers there on a Wednesday. That was probably the biggest selling one I've had. Yeah. Um I I still tell people if they you know the first time they've heard us, if they want an album, I either give them that one or live from uh, Minnesota Music Cafe. I give them the live ones really because the the live albums are the ones that are just kind of really show the band. You know, yeah, it's great. Um, your current record that's a more of a pop country record, right? Well, yeah, it is. Well, yeah, it it it's. Well, it's con- it's a little more country than I was. I, you know, uh, for years I had people say, Brian, why don't you do a country album? Why don't you do a country album? Why don't you do a country album? And, and you know, when, when it, country was getting big and stuff, and, and I had connections down in Nashville and all that stuff with managers and all that, and uh, hooked up with this, uh, you know, Tommy and... Uh, he was a producer, and he was Reba McIntyre's uh, drummer, Tommy Harden, and uh, great guy. And he and I started writing, 
and we wrote some songs. And to me, they weren't country pop. They weren't, you know, stuck in the mud in the truck with the beer and the girl in the back of the beard or the bird, you know. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to sing that stuff, you know. I'm not. I'm sorry. It is what it is. You can, whoever wants to sing it can sing it, but I'm not going to sing that. These were songs that were, yeah, sounded a little more country, but they were, they were love songs. They were good songs. They were, you know, meaningful songs, you know. And uh, so I did it just to do it, you know. I mean, my career, when I look at it, you know, I think about Elvis Presley when Elvis was gospel, was rock, was country, was blues, was everything. Absolutely. And it's like, why can't anybody be that? And that's what I said when I was talking about this next album that I have. Why can't I have a little bit of that on on the whole album? You know what I'm saying? I love it. Because people want a little bit of everything on the album. They don't want to hear the same singer sing the same thing in a different way the next song and the next song and the next song and the next song why not have a little bit of rock and roll and then we go into a little country and we could maybe get a little blues and then we maybe get a little pop and then we maybe whatever that's what i want to be i want to be that all just everything singer maybe i'll make my own genre of who i am now nice man everything <laughs> well, the reason genre ask, here, the reason i Every- ask about the latest record is that yeah, I've spent many years down doing the Nashville thing too. I know you have. Is that something you're going to continue to pursue? Is um, songwriter dealing with Nashville and kind of more of that country route or not? No, I don't think so. I mean, Nashville is kind of like, you know, who I knew down there and stuff and what they were doing and who I was working with and stuff like that. And I'm not really working with anybody down there right now. So I don't think Nashville will be you know, the thing for me, and that's fine. I think for me, it's more of, um, you know, doing my own kind of thing um, privately here, getting it out, continuing to, you know, play great live shows, because I think that's where it's going to come down to in the long run. Um, For us as musicians making money we're going to have to be able to play live and we're going to have to be able to deliver a show i really do think that because right now my kids can see anything they want to see on youtube for free you know doesn't cost them a dime yeah and people are going to be able to do that with all music pretty soon and that's fine i think that's it is what it is gets us out there but you know what the difference will be if we can deliver it live to these people that to me is going to be where we'll, you know, hopefully strive and get to to where it should be. Because to me, that's where it is. You know, that the live performance—that's what—that's what makes—that's what changes lives. That that live performance. You know? What is the first live show you ever saw that made you want to be a musician? I was uh, fifteen. I think I was at uh, Riverfest and watched Steve Earle during the day because I was a huge Steve Earle fan. It was 1985. He had Guitar Town, just came out, and it was an afternoon show and just great. And me and my buddy went backstage and got to talk to him and meet him and stuff, and it was very cool. Was he nice? Yeah, he was really nice. He was really nice. We asked him who his influences were, and he was like, oh, right from here, my replacements. He's like, they're my biggest influence. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Westerberg? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then that night, 
Lamont Cranston played, and that was back in the days where it was Lamont, like the 12-piece band with the horns, you know, Bruce McCabe on, on the keys, Doug on the bass. I mean, it, it, Charlie Bingham on guitar. It was it was Lamont Cranston. And, uh, yeah, it was Pat Hayes, Upper Mississippi Shakedown. And yeah, man. Just watching him bounce up and down on the stage. Yeah, everyone, to the Upper Mississippi Shakedown. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, you know, that's kind of, you know, where I kind of, like, I want to do that. I want to do that. I could hop up there and do that, you know, like, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, Speaking of you met Steve Earle, a question I had was, I used to look at your website, and you used to have all these old pictures of of, uh, famous folks you've met, like uh, um, Chuck Berry and Jesse the Body. And the cool picture of Matt Damon smoking a cigarette or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so out of all the people you met through this business and whatever, what's some of your favorite ones? Well, of course, Bruce, of course, you know. McCabe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce McCabe is always a great one. I mean, that is that's a great story with Bruce McCabe. Uh, I love, uh, he's the, one of the greatest guys I've ever met in my life. And But he, uh, he and I wrote a song once, and he... Uh, we were trying to come up with ideas, but I would sit in the room in the living room and he would he would put a cassette in the in the tape player and push play and then he'd walk out of the room and I would listen to the song and then when the song was done he'd walk in and take the cassette tape out and put another cassette tape in and push play and then he'd walk out of the room and I'd watch him walk out and then I'd listen to that song or whatever and then he'd come in and I'd say, how about this idea? And so I played an idea for him and he was like, I like that, let's record it. And so I recorded that idea and uh, some of the words that I had and stuff and uh, I left. (laughs) And then the next, like two days later, he's like, I finished the song here. (laughs) I was like, okay, cool. But he was like the shyest guy, but he's so great. You know, he was was one of the biggest influences on me ever because when I was on the road with Johnny Lang in Europe and I got to ride with them on the bus, you know, Bruce McCabe, I was telling him about going to Nashville and about writing with other writers because, you know, to try and write songs that, you know, would be better for people to understand and this and that. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, just trying to clear up songs and make them so, you know, people like the feelings I'm trying to get across come across in the right way. And he's like, why wouldn't they get across in the right way? He's like, whatever you write is what you write and that's perfect and you don't need anybody else telling you how to write that your your crowd's going to get it don't worry about it and i was like wow bruce mccabe just told me that and that made a lot a lot of sense to me and it kicked me in the butt to say yeah i don't need these other people telling me what i'm writing is right or wrong what i need is to write what i write from the heart and 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 go from there because that's what those people you know, catch up on, you know, um, I don't know, you know, so there's been a lot of people that I met, Chuck Berry was funny, Chuck Berry was like, it was funny because before we got to warm him up down in St. Louis, and uh, he, (laughs) they came up to me before the show, and they said, you cannot say Chuck Berry, you cannot mention one of Chuck Berry's songs, (laughs) and you can't even say anything about him or his band or anything, I'm like, okay, so we get on stage and we're just doing whatever and we're like thanks whatever and and we're done and and after his uh, his son is is in his band plays guitar in his band or bass or something he came up to us he's like you guys are great you guys are great man where are you guys from you know we're like Minneapolis is like oh you guys are good you guys are good and we're like hey anyway we can take a picture with your dad 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get you guys a picture. I'll get you guys a picture. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I was like, cool. So we're waiting. And then he's like, come on in. They had this little dressing room about the size of just a little closet, you know, and, and Chuck's in there alone. He's like, Dad, Dad, this is the warm-up band. They're from Minneapolis. They're really good. They're going to take a picture with you. And Chuck's holding these, these chicken wings, and he's eating. And it's just, you know, it's one of those little cardboard box, you know, things, chicken wings. And he's eating and he's like, Okay, and he puts them down on the table, and he looks at all of us in the eye. He goes, don't you none of you eat my chicken wings? And, and then he poses for the picture, and it's like, click, and then he grabs his wings, and he goes back, and we're out the door. I mean, that was it. It was like, that's our meeting with Chuck Berry was, don't eat my chicken wings. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was fun. It was, uh, there's, there's been some funny, funny, funny times in this, you know, business that, just keep you going, you know. It's just when you meet people and you do stuff and it's crazy and it's it's there's there's good times. It's funny. We were down, you know, in Nashville and and uh, uh, Steve Cropper was playing at a club and, and Luke went up to meet him because it was weird because Steve Cropper was just out playing with this band. And Steve Cropper walks up and goes, "What singer, songwriter, guitar player? What?" And Luke's like, "Ah, uh, fan, okay." And we used to have a thing where we'd call the discount ticket. So you got your discount thing punched. You got dist. You got your discount card punched. So Luke got a discount card. But then a month later, honest to God, a month later, we're in Europe. We're in England playing at this festival called Bishop Stock. And Booker T and the MGs are playing the headlining show that night that we're playing for. And they have us all out at this bar the night before to just hang with all the players all the musicians and bands and stuff that are playing there and stuff well there's steve cropper and there we are and it was great because luke got to walk up and go oh yeah yeah we met in, in nashville yeah you just totally dissed me oh <laughs> and steve was like no 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 i wouldn't have done that and we were all kind of like yeah you kind of did yeah yeah you got, well you know, you know it was funny though it was great that he got to like all of a sudden be on the same playing level with them it's like we're playing the same thing right now tonight, oh you know? dude so it was cool. that's a great story yeah um a bullet point i had here so speaking of steve cropper um a question i wanted to ask you're a big tv and movie buff yeah. as well um let's say in the movie let's say they filmed a movie about brian layton or gb layton and like Steve Cropper, um, in like in the movie The Blues Brothers, they played Bob's Country Bunker and then the Palace Hotel Ballroom. And uh, let's say in the movie The Doors um, with Oliver Stone, you know, Jim Morris, they're playing the Whiskey A Go-Go. If they film a movie about G.B. Layton or Brian Layton, what would be your Bob's Country Bunker? What would be your Whiskey A Go-Go? What would be your Palace Hotel Ballroom? The ballroom one, uh, you know, I'd have to be. I played surf ballroom down in uh, in Iowa there. You That'd know? be good to film one down there. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Just you know, because it was Buddy Holly's. It was kind of a cool place to play because it's Buddy Holly's last place he played or whatever, you know. So that was cool to play there. Uh, Bob's Country Bunker, man. <laughs> There's been a few of those. Oh man, God. I wish I could think of some of those. Sometimes I, I go back and I look at some of those old places we played, you know, and I have a lot of old clippings and stuff of places, and you're like, oh, my God. There was this one up in East Bethel. I think it was called the Whiskey Junction up in East Bethel, and I think Daisy Dillman used to play up there, and, God, it was just one of those places where 
they kept it so dark on the inside so you didn't know what the hell you were looking at. I mean, it was just like one of those places, you know. Um, but that was uh, that was a weird one. I don't know. What was the other place? The, the fancy Whiskey-A-Go-Go, like the hop hits, hip spot. Oh. Um, well, the, the House of Blues always is fun in Chicago, and I played there a few times, and they're, they're always... They're great, you know. I mean, whenever you play there, even if you're just a warm-up act or something, they treat you like you're fucking professional and stuff. And it's always nice to walk in to those places, you know, because it's like we would go on tour with, like, the Bodines and, and we'd do acoustic or we'd go on tour with uh, Huey Lewis and stuff and, and it was just acoustic or whatever. But sometimes, you know, you, you would get to the bar or the theater or whatever you're playing the club and 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 you'd get there an hour and a half early and before your sound check is supposed to be or whatever or doors actually you get there an hour and a half early before doors because you never know what time you're going to get sometimes honestly god they'd go guys we got 10 minutes until doors and we're like okay we're good we'd fucking get out there and we, we would do it we would plug our shit in we would get a sound check and we would do it we would do it every time you know and that was the the kind of like band we always were. We wouldn't complain. We wouldn't say, oh, we only got Timmy. You know, no, we got it. We got it. We yep. got this. We got this. No problem. And we would do it. And man, was I proud of us every time we would do that. You know, it, it was just, it was awesome. It was great. And and I, I'm not complaining against the, the bands because I understand they need sound checks and stuff like that. And I get it. We're just acoustic act, whatever. But it was like when you go into the House of Blues in like Chicago and stuff and the way those those guys... They take care of you, even if you're the warm-up band. They're like, no, we're going to help you guys with your equipment. And we're going to make sure it gets on stage, and we're going to help you. And this is your dressing room, and here are your menus, and this is where you can order, and we'll have a waitress come up. You know, And they just explain everything. It's like when you go into that situation, you just feel really, really, really good. And, yeah, man. And important, you know, and it's nice. It's like, thank you. Thank you, you know. Thank you. Because <laughs> it's like, that's awesome, you know. And we don't ever take advantage of that stuff. We don't. You know, if 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 they never have anything for us backstage, we never go, where's our stuff, where's our stuff? The only thing we ever ask for are bottles of water, basically. That's it. Yeah. If we can get waters for stage, we're good. We'll get beers. If, if people want beers or whatever, they'll get them. It's not a big deal. So you're not a band that takes out, makes them the Van Halen theory. No. Like taking out the brown M&Ms no. or whatever. No, but, but it's nice because sometimes the – the bars do that for you and they they really do look at what your your writer says and stuff and they they put it in backstage for you because they feel like this is important for you to be here tonight for us you know to make some money and then you feel really welcome and feel good you know and man i'd thank the shit out of them at the end of the night oh you yeah. know those owners said thank you thank you thank you you made us feel really really good here i hope we can come back i hope we can do this again you know and that's that's how i've always felt with uh you know with bar owners and stuff. We don't expect a lot when we play. We don't. We, we, we get waters, we're good, you know? If we can get towels to dry our face, even better, you know? Yeah, yeah. heck yeah. It's, it's, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. We're good. We're good. Um, I'm wrapping up part two of the podcast with Mr. Brian Layton. One question I wanted to ask. On your first record, I believe you had a dog singing on the yeah. record. yeah. I have a golden retriever at home named Copper. What if I want Copper to sing on my next record? 
How do I go about getting that to happen? That was funny. I don't know, man. Do you, does does Copper sing right now? Or? Not. She's in vocal training. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Good. No, I don't know. Alex was. Uh, he was funny. He was a funny dog. He would. He would. Uh, he would howl with me. I could get him to howl with me. He was. He was the reason I wrote "Man in the Moon." It was kind of funny because it was like walking down the street and. Uh, I, when I would come home at night and I lived on this dead end and uh, I would, I'd let Alex out and we'd walk down to the end of the street and back and it was, you know, 2.30 in the morning, whatever, so I never chained him up and, and whatever. And uh, I'd let him run down to the end of the street. He knew what we were doing every night I'd come home. And one night uh, I see something on the side of the road and it comes up to like by a mailbox and it stops and sits. I'm thinking it's a raccoon and I'm trying to get it to move and Alex doesn't see it. And I'm trying to get it to go and it won't go and I'm clapping my hands or whatever. And it won't do anything. And finally I just said, screw it, you know, so I keep walking past. And when I look back in the moonlight, I could see it was a black cat and it, it went behind me. And I was like, wow, there's something lucky about this night tonight that I tried to scare this black cat to walk in front of me. And, you know, black cat crosses your path, you yeah. know, but it wouldn't. And I and it waited for me to go and then went behind me. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And that's I ended up writing Man in the Moon. I don't know why. I haven't it's, heard that one in a while. Yeah, that's great. That's stupid. But anyway, it's it's weird why I wrote that one. But anyway, Alex was a dog that, no, he just like he would come home. I would come home. I'd let him out. We'd do that walk. And I'd come inside and he would go sit on the stairs halfway up the steps and he'd sit down and he'd wait for me and I would walk up and I would lean into him and he would put his nose right down into my shoulder and we would just sit there for about 20 seconds and we would just do nothing we would just sit there and then I'd say all right let's go and then he'd run up in my room and jump on my bed but he used to sing with me and I would sit up in my room and I would be playing guitar and I wrote this song called Moon's Out and We Howling at It. And I wrote this song and he would he would howl with that song. And I honestly I could sit up in my room and I could play any other song from A to Z. And in the middle of that song start, the moon is out and we and he would hear him downstairs going, Oh from the basement, from downstairs. So I said, okay, when I recorded this album, I'm going to say, I'm going to put this on there as a secret song or whatever. And I knew that at night, he, when he got tired, um, he would lay down. And I knew that when he would sing with me, he would lay, he would lift his head up and he would put his mouth up. And that's, I knew exactly about where his mouth was going to be. So once again, this is the first album, you know, late at night, bring my dog in. He's tired. Lay him down in the studio. Put the mic oh. where I think his mouth is going to go when I start singing. And we just recorded live. And, oh, my God. And he was right there in the mic. It was, it was unbelievable. It was great. It's cool. That is an excellent story. <laughs> we'll wrap up part two with that. Thanks, Mr. Brian Layton, for being right. the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. <laughs>
Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. I'm the man in the